0: Welcome to the High Speed Podcast, the official podcast of the High Speed Alliance, taking you further, faster, together. We are setting our course for freedom and
1: legacy through mastery of business, finance, family, and lifestyle. Welcome to the High Speed Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Forrest Bryan, and we're excited to have uh, Big Mike Zlotnick on the call today. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Forrest? Uh, Doing great. Uh, thank you so much for being on the call. Uh, we've just been uh, having a good time and uh, just talking about, all, talking about family and talking about investing. And um, uh, we just are, are, are very much in line with, uh, with our thoughts. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about you being on here today and, uh, and sharing uh, some of your experience and some of your thoughts and, uh, and helping our listeners uh, become better investors. So uh, appreciate you being here.
0: Thank you for having me on the podcast. Very much, we we, are, we think alike. Uh, great minds think alike. I really enjoyed talking with you, and it's been very very exciting to be uh, interacting with you. And
1: anyway, thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, we've known each other for for, for a while now, and uh, we actually got to spend some time together earlier this year at one of the family office conferences, and um, uh, had a good time, and uh, had a good time talking about all kind of fun things like interest rates uh, you know <laughs> some some people you know they're like hey, that's not that's not fun and that's not interesting but uh but 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 for us it is so uh, we'll we'll let uh we'll definitely get into that uh in, in a minute uh, so you can uh shine a little bit and, and show your your expertise and your knowledge on that but um before we do that uh let me just have you I'll just uh let you introduce yourself and your and your fund and and uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what you do
0: Thank you first. Uh, I live in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I'm originally from Moldova, even though they call me Big Russian or Big Mike. Uh, my native tongue is Russian, but I came here in 1989 as a political refugee from the communists. So I absolutely despise the communist and socialism re- regime and uh, the whole uh, empire that they, they, they uh, the, the doctrine is absolutely wrong. Um, so uh, I'm a political refugee. I came here. I, I went to school in Binghamton, New York, and um, I spent 15 years uh, in software development going through my career, getting, getting all the way to uh, VP level and spending a lot of time building software and complex systems. But I realized my passion is in real estate. love real estate. I've been a full-time, well, I've been a part-time investor since 2000. In 2009, I went full-time. I got sick and tired of a corporate world. Uh, I had an opportunity to uh, come and co manage a fund and I jumped in and never looked back since. And we are now on our fund four. And I very much enjoy real estate investing. I own a number of properties myself and through the fund. And um, it's a fun journey. It's really uh, something that you can't find anything more uh, exciting, more interesting. It's a very boring thing, but at the same time, if you love it, it's fun. Uh, I am married. I have uh, four kids, three oldest are girls, and the youngest is a boy, and I have a cat named Rosie.
1: <laughs> love it, I love it. Um, so, you know, you said one interesting thing. We saw a lot of interesting things, but I want to dial in on one one thing. Uh, some people might say, you know, starting a new business in two thousand nine doesn't sound like a really good idea. But I would I would probably take take the flip side of that and say, man, if you were starting. If in in real estate in 2009, and just looking at the last uh nine years almost a decade from from that point till now, it's been uh that's probably been a pretty pretty sweet ride, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, it's been a solid journey. Yeah, timing couldn't be better. I, I didn't purposely do it, I didn't know what's going to happen. The real estate looked like crap at that time, but um, you know, pl- talking about contrarian play, we, we talked about being contrarian, that's a contrarian market, it was a good time to go in. So we've really had a good ride, and uh, yeah, people have asked me, have you been through down downsides uh real estate, at least you know in New York where I live it hasn't it hasn't seen any any serious uh, up and downs even through the crash uh but uh, you know, as a fund manager, we've seen some you know small adjustments we've not seen anything goggly. let's <laughs> put it this way so from that perspective, uh I have to acknowledge the fact that yeah entering the
1: market two thousand and nine has been nothing but a fairly good rate. Yeah, that's great. So, well, let's kind of dive into that a little bit more. I know uh, uh, you you know a lot about a lot of different asset classes because you, you study them. And, and uh, we had a good time uh, earlier just kind of talking about uh, different things, self-storage and multifamily and lending. And, you know, to just why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about uh you know your 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 philosophy that kind of overflows into your fund uh you know what 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 type of assets do you hold in your fund and um you know kind of give us a little bit of idea you know i know i know just roughly from studying it you know i think it's about 50% on the lending side on the on the debt side and maybe 50% on the equity side but you know dive in a little bit deeper there and uh, tell us a little bit about um you know the the asset classes that you like to uh that you like to invest in inside the fund Sure.
0: So our flagship fund, we have a couple of funds, but the, the flagship fund is called Temple Opportunity Fund and it's truly diversified growth and income fund, or, or better put it, income and growth fund. So it is focused on income first and growth second. Income comes heavily from hard money loans. So we invest in uh, promissory notes secured by deeds of trust and mortgages, uh, typically in first position, sometimes in second position with the right borrowers, right circumstances, right projects. And uh, they are all income generating. I mean, we, 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 we have a niche today in the market. We do a lot of sub-100K loans. So the market has been pretty competitive lately with a lot of big funds coming in. But we carved the space below $100,000 with the relationship-driven borrowers. And we do repeat again and again and again with the same folks. So we our whole deal flow is 99.9% relationship-driven. So we like that space. We're able to still charge what we charge in the hard money space um, because the deals are smaller. They're a lot less competitive. And it's not about the price as much as it is about service and um, availability of capital and responsiveness. So we do sort of white glove service and people love us who we work with. So more than half of the fund today uh, is in that portfolio. And that portfolio is performing really well. And we we, we love that space. It generates a ton of income. And the fund is uniquely structured, actually, that all the points and the interest and the fees flow to the fund. We don't get paid until well, investors get paid for everybody. this. So, um, and then on the other side of the uh, of the business, we have um, a portfolio of the value-add, uh, typically cash flow-focused assets. Some of them are not necessarily cash flow, but they're all value-add. So we have investments in self-storage facilities. Uh, we have two investments in a uh, grown-up self-storage in Houston, Texas, and we have a Macy's conversion in uh, uh, Cleveland area. Uh, we have also investments in multifamily, a couple of multifamily projects, all value-adds. So typically, uh, it's a project that does, does have some cash flow from the start, but the cash flow is increasing over time as many units are going through innovation and rents are increasing. So we love to go into an area that supports higher rents, but the asset has been a little bit run down, neglected, and over time, not kept up with what the rents could do if the asset was renovated. So we we love these type of assets. That's a classic value add. We also have uh, been investing in retail space, sort of a contrarian place uh, in today's day and age. Amazon is eating a lot of people's lunch, uh, and what's been happening is older malls have been failing. So they become phenomenal opportunities for conversion opportunities into self-storage, not the only... Uh, way to go, but they can't function. Their use as a mall is gone. So we we love those type of projects. And uh, retail space is attractive very much today because the cap rates are so high. So everything else has low cap rates. You look at the retail, especially things that uh, big REITs have to shed. And the reason they have to shed is not because they're having such a nice day. They're being beaten up by the Wall Street. It's hard for them to raise fresh capital. They've bought these big portfolios, and they have sort of, let's just call them core assets. So maybe their core assets A class, and then they're shedding the Bs and maybe C pluses. But they're shedding the assets that have phenomenal value adds. They could be sold piecemeal, and the, the, the pieces are worth more than the whole thing. So investing in projects like this, you have phenomenal cash flow from the start, plus you have... Uh, all kinds of value adds. You have very decent downside protection. It's not a guarantee, but it's a very solid type of play. So I just give you three asset classes that we invest in. We love these all three sectors. Um, so self-storage, I know you're a big fan of it too. Uh, we, we like no tenants and toilets. I've gone to all kinds of conferences, events, learned everything I could possibly learn about self-storage we've been investing. We also have three loans on self-storage conversion projects. So very possible that these loans will get repaid and we will invest in the equity of these deals when they they come to a conversion point. So I I hope kind of paints the picture. We do have some number of other projects uh, that we also invest in. Uh, We have some uh, kind of ground up construction, no cash flow, but we are uh, looking into um, risk reward ratio and they got to have pretty strong upside and well understood downside So, uh, we love these type of assets. They have another opportunity on the table. likely going to invest. It's a portfolio of um, multifamily portfolio in South Georgia. Uh, That's just, just after innovation, it's going to be a cash monster. So, investing in these projects, what's the worst case scenario? You just got a massive cash flow project in your hands. You're getting all the cash flow. Even if the market is not valuing it where it was today, even if the market retreats you could survive anything. I mean, you got cash flow. Ultimately, that's the philosophy.
1: Uh, great comments. And uh, uh, we, we we think so much alike. Um, I'm, I might ask you just kind of a follow-up question on that, just so we can kind of dive into that. Because, uh, you know, we could, we could talk about the rest of the time on self-storage. But, uh, you know, just kind of, and I, I might... I'll leave this kind of open-ended where you can kind of take it into the, the, the follow-up question, but just, you know, with, uh, with, with cell storage that, that value add that we, that we talked about where, you know, maybe they're buying a, a mom and pop or an underperforming or smaller, and they're going to uh, add some more units or add some more uh, you know, maybe climate controlled or or, 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 something like that. And then I love the conversion market and you, and you, and you talked about that. So uh, maybe in, and you talked about, kind of bringing in those, uh, high cap rate retail, uh, uh, investments that could be converted. And so, uh, uh, explain that a little bit more, uh, to the listener who might be thinking what, you know, when you say conversion for self storage, let's, let's, let's go a little deeper on that one. And then, and then also, uh, you know, the new construction. So there's a lot of new construction and, uh, I'll let you kind of go deeper there, but then the, the, the next question I'm going to ask, and this probably be a good follow-up question for this is just, um, Uh, Just, you know, general comments about uh, value add at at this point and kind of getting into, you know, I'm going to ask you if you're looking into the crystal ball. So, uh, you know, kind of kind of what's coming up uh, down the road, especially with 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 new construction. So if you will just kind of talk about uh, that, you know, I kind of want to focus on that conversion and go a little bit deeper there and then and then flipping into crystal ball question.
0: I'm going to start by saying that I had a wonderful crystal ball, but it broke. (laughs) And since that time, I just cannot uh, predict the future. (laughs) uh, But uh, self-storage, so we love the ground up. We do have a ground up. It's been completed just under a year. And um, uh, just so you understand, you know, what it looks like. The asset all in, all the equity and the debt and the whole cost basis in that asset. This is in Houston area. Uh, was just under $9 million, 8.8 million, let's see, $9 million. And it's completed, and the lease-up is essentially starting now. And uh, it's underwritten for a th- full three-year life cycle uh, through lease-up. And that asset probably today worth as is $14 to $15 million. So it's, it's, it's possible to flip the beast and make really strong return, which is very possible, which we will, you know, potentially could do if there's a good offer on a table for Marie. Alternatively, if that doesn't happen, the plan B, you go through a lease up, and your cash flow is light. The you know, let's just say another year probably light cash flow, but after that, you start uh, generating very very solid cash. And the asset upon full lease up is going to be worth 16 to 17 million dollars based on today's prices that REITs are paying. So, this is a ground up construction. Uh, that particular facility was actually built uniquely by stacking up containers to accelerate the uh, the build period. Um, so we, we love that project. The project is done, and uh, you, you can't go wrong. I mean, in the worst-case scenario, you will have a strong cash flow beast, and in a you know, better case scenario, you'll sell it. So, again, this is an example of a can't-lose scenario. Uh, also, the feasibility study, when it was done, before the project was uh, started, is such that that area is in heavy need of self-storage. and We talked about this. Uh, this is in Houston area. They had major hurricane issue. People need to store stuff. Mm-hmm. And then given, given the demographics and um, the supply uh, demand equilibrium, it, not guarantees, but m- mathematically very likely to perform well. Uh, I'll give you an alternative project. So alternative project is we have a self-storage conversion of an old Macy's in Cleveland area. And uh, that area has a, uh, there's, a uh, there's an index that is used in the self-storage industry and it's a supply-demand index. and in general, equilibrium is about seven, seven and a half. You, I'm sure you, you, you're you aware. So seven means supply-demand approximately balanced in that area. In that area, the index is one and a half. It means it's heavily under undersupplied. So that conversion project was screaming old mall, you can't build anything nearby, it, but converting an old Macy's that went out of business into a cell of storage was a just win-win. That conversion um, project uh is going to be less less than a year the beauty about the conversion you have a box you just got to build the walls build so you know you, and the, the beauty about self-storage you can configure units right you can go 20 by 20 bucks you can go up 20 by 10 you can actually see what the supply, supply demand looks like and you can adjust your units if there's a shift in the market to bigger units for example or smaller units so that configuration internal you obviously have to you know Potentially do some improvements in the building in general, but you don't have to construct the major walls. You don't have to do all the big pieces. So that that the actual construction is probably six to nine months. You could, you could do it even faster. On top of that, there is also other retail uh, uh, stores that can be utilized in the same mall. You no longer have an anchor of Macy's. Your anchor is Self Storage. People drive there, so you can actually put complementary uh, retail stores that work with that configuration. That's your conversion strategy and we have just to give you another example uh we have a couple of conversion projects right now hard money loans uh but they are industrial buildings being converted to a self-storage in a given area the city doesn't want those industrial you know warehouse there's no business for them they're sitting empty so they get bought for for fraction of the reconstruction cost and they get converted some self-storage some office space and some other uh, complementary business. so these projects, you know, they're not necessarily going to make you 10 times uh, multiple, but they are solid, predictable kind of investments that have very solid downside protection. So those are the conversion projects on the uh, on the self-storage. And then um, um, back to the crystal ball, I'm trying to remember what's the next question. Yeah,
1: yeah, just uh, uh, let's, let's talk about crystal ball and which, what you see coming up down the road.
0: Well, we talked about this, uh, and I think you are the one who's uh, who has educated me a little bit on on what's happening. I, I sort of knew it was going that way. I didn't know we were this close. I didn't really, really realize that so we're approaching the inversion of the uh, of the yield curve, and uh, it's a leading indicator. And I, I completely understand and agree with you that it is pointing to a likely slowdown, potential recession. I'm not saying depression, but some level of recession. And recession is something that uh, it, you know it's physics. Or economy, it's laws of gravity. The fact that things that come up, they have to come down. They can't always go up. So, where are things? We're going to keep going up and up and up and up and up. Is unrealistic. Let me put it this way. So, we'll see slowdown in the economy. The economy is already slow, showing signs of of a slowing down. Although the GDP figure was great. I mean, if you if you follow the GDP, we are having you know, ridiculously good time. Uh, what I observed is this with interest rates. So, all things aside the interest rates have moved up. Uh, We're talking about 30-year mortgages, so 10-year bond essentially. From the bottom, at the lowest point in the market, they moved up almost 200 basis points. We're right around 200 basis points increase. And if you think a little bit about this, 200 basis points uh, is a huge number, huge number. So if you are looking at a mortgage, typical payment amount for every 100 basis points goes up by 16%. So we're talking about 32% payment increase in the mortgage. It will most certainly put downward pressure on a lot of real estate. And real estate has been generally resilient, but you can't change the laws of physics. High interest rates means prices will come down somewhat. Now, we're not looking at any kind of a collapse. We're looking at some level of um, cap rate increases in the commercial space. And in the residential space, it's affordability. It comes down to affordability of housing. Uh, on the coastal markets, uh, we are approaching probably peak affordability, uh, sorry, lowest affordability point uh, of all time. So we, we, we will most certainly going to see some downwards pressure uh, on affordability. And at the end of the day, look at New York City. I mean, I live in New York. What, happen- what has happened with condo markets, the high-end condo markets? They have five-year supply, and the prices have collapsed 20% on the high-end stuff. Why? Because nobody can afford them. They cost a fortune. The stuff in the Midwest, it gives the flyover markets, where the steady eddy markets and affordability is still solid, uh, and the, the, the assets don't cost a fortune. I mean, it's not a million-dollar asset. It's a $100,000 house, maybe $120,000 now, and it's gone up 20%. It's still very affordable, and that's what it comes down to. If the affordability good, the prices are not going to collapse on those assets at all, uh, the cyclical markets will certainly see some level of correction, which has already happened. So that's that's my observation uh, as far as where we're going. I, I think if the um, employment is strong, and you got to realize, you got to look at Trump's policies. I am neither a big supporter nor big, you know, opponent. I, I, I you know, <laughs> some some days I hate him, and some days I think he he, has, he tries to do some good things. So no political views. I'm right down the middle. But I have to say that he's trying to do some things that are uh, generally uh, good for the economy. The trade war is obviously uh, very uh concerning it, it's the uh it's the uh, predictability effect of it lack of predictability of the trade war it's not what he's trying to do but he creates instability so if he's if he doesn't solve it fast and soon we will have problems so from that perspective, uh, I, I sincerely hope we, we resolve that issue, talking about the future. We don't resolve it. I, I, I seriously doubt that Ch- China is going to get moved. <laughs> mm-hmm. U.S. moved EU, but China is not going to get moved. So uh, on that front, and then if, we, if we're looking now into U.S. economy, if GDP is solid, uh, we've had very interesting phenomenon here. We've had fairly low unemployment, but the wage increases have been very slow. So we may continue to see the same type of uh, uh, situation going forward. So if there is no wage inflation, you're not going to have met, met growth in affordability. When you don't have growth in affordability and growth in incomes, you really can't you know, can't see prices going up more. So will we see commodity inflation and wage deflation? Sort of. If that happens, uh, you know I, I'd be uh, I'd be concerned. Uh, Trump, uh, I think he's trying to push in sort kind of healthy inflation. So healthy inflation would be good, but we'll also look at the U.S. national debt. It's talking about all these interesting factors. So we have a deficit, plus we have national debt and unfunded liabilities. U.S. government can't really afford much high interest rates. So if, if, if they don't do something about it over time, we're going to have some level of hyperinflation because you just can't, you know, can't pay the debt. So they're going to print money, they print the printing press can accelerate. I think it's enough. I just yeah a, a, a lot of interesting things to talk about
1: yeah definitely uh you yeah, know i I love that the, that conversation I love talking about all of those things and the quantitative easing and the quantitative tightening and just all of these things that are kind of kind of rolling around we're we're kind of getting down uh, we're getting low on time and uh, you guys probably like to hear us talk for the rest of the day but um let let me uh let me just ask you one more question before we kind of go to our members only uh, section on the back end where we'll we'll probably go a little deeper on some of those things but um so uh and and just to You know, if somebody's out there listening right now, um, who might be thinking, okay, so, you know, what what do I need to do with, you know, with my portfolio right now? So I guess my question is, um, you know, how are you preparing your fund for what may be coming up over the next few years? And what can uh, a real estate investor who's listening to this podcast, who maybe is doing some private lending and maybe he's got some single family homes and maybe they're invested in self-storage or multifamily? You know, how are you preparing your fund and what can they kind of, you know, what kind of nuggets can they kind of get out of that, out of that question?
0: Yeah, I appreciate It's a brilliant question. So there's a rule number one. In real estate, they talk about location, location, location. On a fund level, it's all about diversify, diversify, diversify. So we diversify. And, and same thing should investors do. If they have a portfolio, of many assets, they should diversify across uh, different asset sectors, geographies. And diversifying in in many different directions. Uh, So on a fund level, we certainly have a broad portfolio of locations where we do loans, but our model is not location-driven. It's driven relationships. So we work with people who we know, like, and trust. So our diversification is between different folks. We try to manage how much money we put to work with each one of them and so forth. Uh, On the uh, fund level, we are looking to diversify between different types of projects. So we want to have a few self-storage, a few multifamily, a few retail, and uh, also have them geographically spread. Uh, We're definitely trying to stay away from high-flying markets, the U.A. markets. So we don't have, you know, whatever we have in the loans, we're trying to exit uh, Miami or condos and stuff that's just, likely that's going to retreat in, in, in their value. Uh, so geographic diversification, uh, asset type of diversification, projects, sponsors, you took all those things combined together, what you have is you have a protection against downside through a diversified portfolio. We're not doing anything fancy hedging, uh, we're not you know, the, not playing any sophisticated in, indices to try to protect against that because the reason for the prices you're gonna pay to, uh, to hedge is just too much. So I don't think it, it needs to be there. We are raising focus on cash flow. So every project, uh, the questions I ask, by the way, before we invest into any opportunity, I ask about two things. So obviously, well, what is the downside, trying to understand, um, but also uh, on the return side, how much cash flow we're going to get here? One, two, three, four, five. Understanding the cash flow is, is number one. If we have solid cash flow, I really don't worry about many other things. The second thing is we look at target IRR and what is it based on. IRR is the overall annualized rate of return. And the way we underwrite our projects and we look at investments is that if it has strong cash flow, we can live with lower IRR. If it doesn't have strong cash flow, we better have some high upside. Uh, and on the downside, um, we need to understand what's the risk. I mean, what things can can sink a project? If they don't sink a project then what could happen? So if a project starts with low uh, occupancy and they're going to do a lot of units and they're hoping to increase uh, occupancy, how likely they're not going to be able to do it? I mean, what, what's going to happen? What is the time frame? How fast can they lease those units up? So if those, if those scenarios are looked at and you can protect yourself against the downside, even in a you know, bad case scenario, you could live through any kind of difficulties. So, But by the way, I have a book out and I wanted to mention for you folks, uh, this book talks uh, about questions you folks should ask. So this is the book. Uh, it's available on Amazon. I'm not promoting the book. I'm
1: mean,
0: giving <laughs> the book away for free. I um, would be more than, more than delighted to, to to offer it to folks. Uh, they just got to, I think, c- cover the the shipping.
1: So uh, hold it back up and I'll read the, uh, read the name of it and then... Uh, uh, how to choose a smart real estate investment fund by Mike Zlotnick. So uh, how do they get a copy of that, Mike, if they it's want available to? available on Amazon. And also throw go ahead and throw in your uh, contact information while we're on it.
0: Sure. It is available on Amazon. If they reach out to me, uh, I could get them a book uh, sent, shipped physically. It is available on Kindle for free. Uh, as far as I know, I think Amazon might've started charging. I apologize if they do. <laughs> it, w- it was free for a while and they, they might be charging like seven ninety nine. dollars it's, it's not a big deal. And... Um, You can reach out. uh, Our website is uh, tempofunding.com from the word temporary, T-E-M-P-O, tempofunding.com. Another easy way to get to the same website is bigmikefund.com podcast. It'll take you to the podcast page on the same website. And you can just request a book for one of the uh, forums.
1: Perfect. So, um, uh, Mike, do you have a... um... Uh, I, I know we talked about a quote. Do you do you have a favorite quote that you want to share? And uh, I know you said you had another book that you wanted to mention that uh, that 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 our listeners should read.
0: Yeah, I, I like on the book side. I like the one thing. It's all about focus. Just focus on on, on the primary and everything else secondary. I do like this interesting book. This is just a, a leisure book. Uh, uh, Thoughts on prosperity. Uh, so th- this is a uh, from the Ford Leadership Library interesting quotes but my favorite quote is really about life and how to be a servant uh how to serve others rather than serving yourself and it's by uh benjamin franklin he said to be humble to superiors is a duty to equals is courtesy and to inferiors is nobleness and uh it comes down to the service of others it's it's a difficult subject i'm trying to teach my kids and they don't in today's day and age man i don't want to be a slave <laughs>
1: uh great great comment and a great commentary thank you for sharing uh with with our listeners uh mike uh thanks for being a friend Uh, i've enjoyed getting to know you better and uh looking forward to more things down the road if you're listening don't go anywhere if you're on our uh on our member's side we're going to go to flip over to the uh to, to our member's side only but um we're gonna wrap it up on the public side. So uh, Mike, I'll, uh, I'll I'll let you uh, ha- have the last word here, but thanks for being being on our show.
0: First, thank you very much for having me. I greatly appreciate the opportunity and um, love to uh, chat with folks. Again, reach out through TempoFunding.com or or the email, the, my email is Mike at TempoFunding.com from the word temporary, T-E-M-P-O, Funding.com, TempoFunding.com. Happy to be of service.
1: Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, thanks for listening to the High Speed Podcast. Uh, thanks for being on here. And uh, we hope that what we share today will help you on your path towards freedom and legacy. So uh, thanks again, Mike. And uh, don't go anywhere. We're getting ready to pop over on the other side. Hi, this is Dr. Forrest Bryant, and I want to thank you for listening to the High Speed Podcast. Uh, We want to remind you that the information we share on this show is impersonal and only our opinion. You should not take impersonal advice and apply it to your own situation without discussing this information with us or with another licensed professional uh, that's familiar with your situation. Um, Our opinions are just that, and this show is for education only. Uh, This is in no way a solicitation or offer to sell any securities or other types of investments. So thank you and uh, have a great day.
0: You've been listening to the High Speed Podcast. To read our blog and to learn more, visit our website at www.highspeedpodcast.com.